I want to apologize. It's usually not a good way to start a sermon. But way too much of this face this morning. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) It's uh, due to all the other faces being elsewhere. Um, I also made the coffee. So it's been a busy morning, but that's all right. Uh, let's see. Keep this thing on. So um, Mark and I had a little conversation Friday evening. And we came to the conclusion that the best thing he could do was not share And so he stayed home, and that's when I found out about this now. And we'll see how that goes. So I'm just saying there's an excuse for whatever you hear today. Let's get into it. Let's let's do this. Uh, Because I really do think that God has given us some valuable things to think about. I'd like to, uh, to remind us of that. <clears throat> and that gives the first idea here. Um, and we talked about this last Sunday during communion, that, that um, God knows that we forget things. Remember Jesus said, uh, this do in remembrance? Why would he say remembrance if we always remembered? Because we don't always remember. We need to be reminded to remember, and there is a uh, there's a passage in First Corinthians fifteen that talks about reminding as well. Um, the first few verses of First Corinthians fifteen, I'll just read those for you. Now, I would remind you, brethren. See, there it is. First phrase, I would remind you. So there's something that the Corinthians had already heard, but Paul wants to remind them. And I think Paul wants to remind us as well. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. Hmm. That's a good thing to be reminded of. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed to no purpose. That's what the in vain there means. To no purpose. Without effect. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
Paul says. And then he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not empty, not in vain. It's a different word than the vain in verse 2. One means to no purpose. One means empty. It was not empty. It was not ineffective. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, a couple of things. Just This is the introduction, by the way. For someone who didn't prepare a sermon to have an introduction, I don't know where you go with that, but... We'll call it an introduction anyway. So. so the idea here is that we need to remember something, and the something we need to remember is the gospel. And if you are familiar with the rest of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, and if you're not, familiarize yourself. It's um, public domain. You can read that anytime. Um, read 1 Corinthians 15, and it's all about what? Anybody? The resurrection and remembering the resurrection. And what one of the key points that Paul brings out about the resurrection is that that's the basis of our faith. If there's no resurrection, there's no point. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. So it's important to remember the gospel, and the gospel doesn't exist without the resurrection. So there's a logical um, flow there that we need to, while remembering the gospel, we need to specifically remember the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The tomb is empty. Can I get an amen? Amen. He is risen. Risen indeed. We don't need to wait for Easter to say that, do we? We can say that any time. And we should. Um, So, that's something to remember. Just um, one other little thought among very many about the resurrection and why it's so important to us. In another book that Paul wrote, he, he mentioned this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, Him who raised Jesus from the dead, who's that? God did. God raised Jesus from the dead. And if God's Spirit dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So our life, our spiritual life, In fact, our every breath comes from God. But it's the kind of life that overcomes death, that defeats sin. That should excite us. That should be hmm, back to 1 Corinthians 15 of first importance. 
Remember Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, how that Christ died, was buried, rose again, according to the Scriptures, the Gospel. But the Gospel, the resurrection, should be first importance. Now what is, okay, first importance, what does that mean? Well, you can think of a list and it's the top of the list. You can think of priorities and where you put something like that in a priority. However, here's another way to understand this. What we have all we've all gone through good days. Yesterday was yesterday a good day? It was a beautiful day. Was it a good day besides being a beautiful day? I thought it was. Anybody else have a good day yesterday? Has anybody here, and you know, if you want to respond, that's fine. If you don't, I understand. Have you ever had a bad day? Anybody? Show of hands? Any bad days out there? Okay, think about that. We've had good days. We've had bad days. Yes? Hopefully we've had good days. I think we've all had bad days, one way or another. What, in our mind, and it's going to be unique to each individual, what, when you think about it, makes one day good and one day bad for you? And that's going to be something that really we need to kind of understand about ourselves. Because for me, yesterday was a good day. The sun was shining. The air was fresh. We got to open the windows in the house. It wasn't too cold. Get some fresh air. um, Go for a drive in the countryside. It was a good day. I have a good day when my wife makes cookies. I have a really good day when my wife makes, makes cookies. What's that, Dennis? Ah, yes. Yeah, so we have uh, we have agreement on that. And in fact, yesterday she made cookies. So that was a double good day. <laughs> um, I have a bad day when my phone locks up. I have a bad day when I get bad news about my kids being sick or something unpleasant. Now, what, what do you take away from that, those good day, bad day kinds of things? God is always good, but why do I see it one way or the other? Ah, there you go. I like it my way, and I like to be happy about my way. And when that happens, it's a good day. And when it doesn't happen, eh. you know, my wife would say, you know, I think I'll get in the car and go for a ride. You just be unhappy by yourself. <laughs> um, and I think we can come to you know, we, we started this idea talking about the first importance of the gospel and the resurrection. 
And I think we can agree by understanding that what for me makes a good day or what makes a bad day. It's not the gospel. I've focused on something else, haven't I? I've been having that internal conversation. Anybody ever have conversations in your mind? Just try not to let your lips move while you're doing that. (laughs) Um, So my internal conversation is more about what makes me happy physically, circumstantially, or what makes me upset physically or circumstantially. And I've gotten my eyes way off the gospel, haven't I? Because does the gospel change according to circumstance? Does the gospel change according to what I want inside? What, you know, what flavor of ice cream I want? What? <laughs> Why Mary hasn't made cookies for a week? No, that has nothing to do with the gospel. And Paul says it's of first importance. And when I get wrapped up in all these other things, I have put the gospel way down that list, haven't I? Now, again, Paul describes, defines the gospel, the good news that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And it was a provable thing. There were hmm, more than enough witnesses. But what is the value of that to me? Just as a fact, no value. It happened, it's a fact, so what? The value is, do I receive that as healing for my sin sickness, as victory over sin and death, as payment for my debt to God? If I do that, if I am on God's page there and receive His gift, It's free. And I say, yes, Lord, I want that gift. Then it becomes mine. It becomes real. And that's where we hopefully are. And if not, like I said, it's free and it's there. And that's why it is of first importance because that overshadows Every other circumstance of life. Every other preference of mine. Every other, I want this and I don't want that. I belong to God. His Spirit is giving me life. It's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. And (laughs) we forget. We get wrapped up in every day. Well, this happened or that happened. The tire's flat or, you know. I have to take the car in and the bill is like $300 more than I expected. Um, Those kinds of things, those are circumstances. And those we allow to affect our outlook on the day, on life, when we forget the gospel. Uh, I've heard a, a preacher say that we get gospel and resurrection amnesia. We live like it didn't happen. We live like, too often, that we're not redeemed, rescued, refreshed by God's grace. And we need to remember. So Paul says, 
I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel. It's worth remembering. Now, as far as circumstances, um, life in general, um, do you ever see or hear anything lately that kind of makes you grind your teeth? Who's in favor of justice? When you look around our country, do you see justice much? Not much. I have to tell you, I'm not in favor of justice for me. I'm in favor of mercy for me. I could not stand God's justice. Jesus stood God's justice for me. And I'm very grateful. I'm very glad that he did that. Um, So, there is justice and it needs to happen and we need to be concerned with justice on the horizontal for those around us. We need to be instruments of just dealings, of righteous dealings with people around us. But between us and God, we need his mercy. Again, the gospel. There is an idea that is not new. I think it, whether it originated, it was popularized by a man named Jerry Bridges, who said, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So, I think that's another thing that happens with the gospel. We think of it as, that's how I got saved. Okay, now I'm next step. Next, next thing in the, in the list. What's next, God? And Jerry reminds us, don't go past the gospel. Wake up every morning and say, God, thank you for saving me. God, without you, I'm nothing. Um, you're my only source. Preach that gospel to yourself every day. Jesus was a object lesson kind of a teacher. We don't see... There's that same tune. I keep hearing that tune. I don't know what that is. Uh, Jesus was a teacher who taught by object lesson, vine and branches, grain of wheat. Um, he, uh, we don't know that he did or did not do this, but we don't have any record of Jesus doing a seminary of saying now. I know we speak this stuff to each other, but you need to learn Greek. <laughs> he didn't, we don't see him doing that. We see him demonstrating, being the example, and showing. And there is a really, really good story of one of those occasions. And I think it ties in with remembering the gospel and the need for God's grace. And what God's grace looks like sometimes. 
And this is, I hope, what you get from all of this is something that walks with you through the day, through the week. I don't want this to be, again, the kind of thing that Jesus doesn't do, and that is give you um, a theology lesson and there will be a test. There will be a test. It's called life. Um, But uh, over in Mark chapter 6, In verse 45, we read a little story. And the background to the story is Jesus was what would be today's equivalent. He was the Seahawks on parade after the Super Bowl win. Um, He was he was a rock star. He was drawing huge crowds and they were getting healed. They were getting um, freed from demon possession. Uh, word was spreading. Crowds were following him. And on a particular day, he couldn't talk to people in the city because the space wasn't big enough. The crowd was too big. So they went out the countryside, found a hillside, sat down and taught. And at the end of the day, or toward, toward evening, maybe even midday, I don't know what time of day it was, um, people were hungry. Remember? And uh, I'll throw out a number and you'll all, it'll all come back to you. There were 5,000 men there. And there was no... Place. There was no McDonald's around the corner. There was no caterers. And the disciples said, we need to send these people away so they can go home and eat or go to town and get something to eat or whatever they're going to do. We need to send them out of here. We need, they need to be fed. And it's interesting. Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them. What? 5,000 men? That doesn't count their families. And they said, ah, and he says, what have you got? Bring me what you've got. And they had what? Five loaves, two fish. Remember, Jesus broke it. Thank God for it. Passed it around. Everybody was fed, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. What would it, put yourself in that scene? You're, you're a, a disciple. You're one of the twelve. What did you just see happen? Who is this guy? I mean, he's a he's a teacher, and we want to follow him like people followed teachers around in that day. Um, that's how they learned what that rabbi had to say. But there's been no rabbi that's fed 5,000 people out of one little lunchbox. Who is this person? Do you think that would have made you wonder a little bit? Like, what's going on? Who is this guy? I would think so. I like to think I would have thought that. But that's not how the story goes. 
at the end of the day, Jesus, they'd fed the crowds, and then he said, all right, time to go. And he sent his disciples in a boat to Bethsaida, wherever they were along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He said, it's time to go to Bethsaida. Get in the boat. I'll catch up with you. I'm going to go up on the mountain and pray. And so they left. And he stayed. And the crowds were dissipated. Um, Show's over. (laughs) I don't know how they, you know, said that the concert is done. Um, You can go now. But that happened. And the crowds left. And the disciples got in the boat. Jesus stayed on the shore. And what happened? This is where we want to start. Verse 45, Mark 6. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Where he dis- while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out of the sea. So they left before evening. They were out there. And these were, not all of them, but several of them, were lifetime fishermen. They knew about the water. They knew about the boats. They knew about oars and sails and whatnot. <clears throat> When evening came, the boat was out on the sea. So they'd been out there a while. And he was alone on the land. And he saw, Jesus saw, that they, the boys in the boat, were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, fourth watch of the night, I don't know what that means. But, but somebody said it's like between 3 and 6 in the morning. So let's say they left at 6 in the evening. They're out there at least 9 hours. And they're trying to go where the wind doesn't want them to go. And who's been to Israel? A few have. Sea of Galilee, is it like bigger than Jump Off Joe? Bigger than White's Lake? So if a wind blows, you're going to get some chop, going to get some waves. So they were in kind of trouble. They were out there. All they could do was try to row to get where they needed to go, and then they weren't making headway. It says they were making headway painfully. After nine hours of pulling on oars, I think painfully works, yeah. That's probably how it was. Um, About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. And this is a phrase, I didn't know this, but somebody that I was listening to about this said, that doesn't mean he was sneaking past or his GPS was off. It means that he made an arc around the boat so that Everybody in the boat could see him. He made himself visible to all of them in the boat. However that works when you're walking on. I don't have that personal experience. Um, But that's what he did. He meant to pass by them in such a way that they would all see him. But when they saw him, so they did, walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost 
and freaked. <laughs> they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. <clears throat> but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is a teaching moment for Jesus teaching the disciples, and if we pay attention, teaching us. Remember, what are we supposed to be mindful of? The gospel, the resurrection, the power of God in us. By what you just heard, do you think, and of course, they wouldn't understand, the, they didn't understand the resurrection. It hadn't happened yet, so we can't blame them for that. But do you think they understood the power of God in that moment? They thought the power of God was a ghost. They were twitched out. They had no place to go. <laughs> they couldn't run away. <laughs> so they just had to hunker and hope for the best. But they didn't have that remembrance of the gospel and faith in the God of the gospel. And that's our lesson, isn't it? That there are storms in life. They're going to happen. It may not be in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee for us, for me, for you. There's going to be some other storm. What do we say to ourselves in that storm? Oh no, not again. You know, well crud, I just did that last week. Now I've got to do it again. What do we say to ourselves? Do we say, Thank you, Jesus, you're in the storm with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection power. Thank you, Jesus, I belong to you. That's the reminder. That even though there's storms, even though circumstances, what do we, even if, let's say, okay, I'm a really spiritual guy. This is hypothetically, remember. Hypothetically. What do I pray for if I'm even so inclined to do? Um, can't find my keys. Lord, help me find my keys. Um, the engine's knock, uh, knocking bad or trying to die on me. Lord, help me get it to the shop. Um, Lord, my wife hasn't made cookies in two weeks. Help her to see the error of her ways. Um, did I get permission to use you as an example? I'm sorry. Uh, I might be paying for this later. <laughs> so what do we do we pray for the 
circumstance, don't we? I mean, almost every time. We pray about the circumstance. Lord, get me through the circumstance. Lord, fix the circumstance. Lord, help. And he wants to do that. But have we ever stopped to consider how many of our storms of life are self-inflicted? More than half of mine, for sure. You can put your own number on that. So when we're, when we're making our own mess, maybe we uh, need to get that squared away first. But were, was that the case with the uh, disciples in the boat? Were they there because they were disobedient? Were they there because they were arrogant? Were they there because they wanted their own way? No. Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. They were obeying the Lord and ended up in the middle of a storm. What's that about? Do you suppose... Do you suppose that God uses storms in our life? God brings us into storms to remind us who's the master of the storm? To remind... (laughs) Hmm. I asked you to think about being on the hillside when the baskets kept replenishing and the whole crowd was fed, filled. Now imagine being in the boat and you see God himself coming to you walking on the water. Is that time to sing the doxology? Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Here comes Jesus. No, it's a ghost. Run for your life. Nowhere to run. Jesus wanted to teach them that he was there. He was never overwhelmed by circumstance. But he wasn't there to fix the circumstance. I can kind of point that out to you this way. If Jesus' intent was to take away the storm for them so that they could easily row across the lake, did he have to walk on the water to do that? No. What did he have to do? He did it before. He he had to say, peace, be still. (laughs) And the storm would be gone. He didn't do that. He wanted them to know that it's not about the storm, it's not about the circumstance, it's about the presence of the Savior. Rely on me. In the storm, remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the goodness, the greatness of God. Does that make sense? Does that... You know, is that a a thing that we can take with us and say, look, I've been doing this wrong. I've been reacting poorly. I've been getting all upset about the circumstances and not focused on the one who is above the circumstances and who lives in me 
and whose power is greater than death itself. Who's overcome, who's had victory over death. I think that's the, uh, that's the main lesson. And I think he wants us to learn to get into that reaction. Um, baseball. For instance. Tennis, for instance. I won't say golf because that's different. Um, but some of these games that are fluid and happening, basketball, when they throw you the baseball or the basketball, do you have to stop and think, okay, now I can do this, or I can do that, or I can do this. What should I do? That's not how the game works. Or if that's how you work it, you're not going to be on the floor much. Um, you're going to be on the bench part. You need to understand the game so that, that the reactions that happen in the game are just part of the natural thing. You, you have the right kind of reactions and responses to the circumstances of the game. Make that a metaphor for what we're talking about. We're talking about remembering the gospel, being reminded of God's goodness and grace to us. And yes, it may take some intentional thinking about. We need to do that. But we need to do that often enough that it becomes the habit, the natural reaction. But that's not right. <laughs> not the natural. The spiritual reaction to the situation without having to stop and think, no, 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 not that. Yeah, okay, this. We need to make that just be part of who we are. And God's Spirit within us will allow that to happen. But we've got to make that a habit in our life for that to happen in that way. God wants to be recognized for who He is. Jesus wants to be recognized for what He's done in our lives. It says, toward the end of that story we read in Mark, it says that the disciples were astonished. Does that mean all of a sudden they had faith? I don't think so. Jesus is trying to teach them about having faith and remembering the goodness of God in the storm. And what they remembered was, wow, I'd never seen that before, or that was scary, or I'm astonished, or I'm amazed. There is a difference between amazement and faith. Amazement says, I've never seen that before. Amazement says, wow, look at that. Faith says, this matters, and it's going to change the way I respond, my outlook on life, how I go about what I do. And, and that's the lesson that we need to take away. God wants us to remember his goodness. We need to be in awe. When, when you see Jesus walking to your boat in the storm on the water, 
Who can do that? Dennis, can you do that? No? Brock? Can't walk right now. Well, I don't want to put... What's that? If it was frozen. It was... Uh, waves were billowing. Wind was blowing. And Jesus was out there on the water and the waves were still billowing and the wind was still blowing. It didn't calm down until he got in the boat. What that tells us is that this is God himself. This is the creator. He is above the laws that he put in motion for nature itself. He can do what he wants with his creation. It's his. That puts us in the doxology mode. Praise God. If we have the right perspective, if we are remembering what we need to remember. There's a danger. Jesus, oh man, he was so patient. You think about, and I think he did this intentionally. He, uh, he chose 12 people that were knuckleheads. <laughs> On the other hand, that's probably the only kind he had to choose from. <laughs> But he was so patient with them. They didn't get it. They didn't get the, the story then, the, the point of the story, the point of the, you know. They were still astonished. They didn't say, oh, thank you, Lord. You're master of, of the storm. We don't need to be afraid. We can be um, comforted in you. They didn't go there. They were just astonished. What Jesus didn't say to them is, all right, I've tried with you guys, but you're hopeless. Out of the boat. I'm going to get somebody else. He didn't say that. He was gracious. And his plan for that day, did he know there was going to be a storm? Did he know they were going to be freaked out? Did he? Yeah, he knew. Did he plan it? Yeah, he planned it. He sent them. He sent them out. They didn't get across till he got there. But, yeah, he knew. Was he being gracious to send them into something he knew was going to be so painful? Yeah, he was being gracious. Think of that in your storm. This is God's grace to me because He's reminding me of His goodness if I see it that way. He's reminding me that He is the master of the storm. He's reminding me to preach the gospel to myself. He's reminding me to get outside the physical, the circumstantial, the mental, and get into the faithful, the spiritual, and the understanding of who God is. Can we take that with us? Can we remember that in our day as we go forward? Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that without the resurrection there is no gospel. Remind yourself that the one who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Remind yourself that even in the storms of life, God's grace overcomes. 
I think that's what he wants for us. And I think uh, we can benefit from that, can't we? Now, we've talked about God's grace. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about um, remembering all that. And we need to do that. But it begins at a specific place. It begins at the new birth. It begins with receiving God's grace. God's grace is there, but it's effective only to those who receive it. It's a gift. It's a free gift. So if that's you, and you've heard about God's grace, but you've never appropriated it for yourself, today could be the day. Lord, without you I'm nothing. You are the master of the storm. I can't deal with my storms of life. But I want to be able to rely on you and I want to be able to see your grace in action in my life. And I want you to be my Savior. He will be your Savior. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that... uh, We can look upon you with wonder, with amazement, and yet also with faith. Lord, your love, your grace fills us up, Lord, when we let it. Help us to remember to preach that gospel to ourselves every day. To make it our habit to see the master of the storm instead of the storm. Hmm. Your grace is all sufficient. Let us lean into that today in Jesus' name. Amen.